0: the SSI Orbit Podcast, a forum that explores everything pertinent to digital trust. And I'm your host, Matsur Glode. Okay, it looks like we're live. First podcast on video. So uh, that'll be cool to see how this uh, turns out. We started a working group within the Trust Over IP last year to start looking a little bit more into detail around how different credential exchange protocols compare against one another. And we're obviously seeing, if you look at the the growth rates and stuff in the the decentralized ID and digital wallet market, you're obviously seeing a lot of uptake of programs and investment in the programs that want to implement digital credentials either as issuers, and we're seeing a lot of government agencies invest in, into that globally to start issuing citizen digital identities to, to their citizens. And there's also on the other side, protocols to help consume or verify credentials from mobile wallets as relying parties or, or as verifiers. And the space is still very technical, I would say, in nature today. A lot of the buyers and implementers are technical by nature. And what we were trying to do with this credential exchange protocol task force was really not dumb it down, but just create a framework that makes it a little bit easier to compare protocols, um, one against another against a common set of criteria so that if implementers have certain business requirements or certain contextual aspects to to what they're trying to do, that they could kind of more easily weigh different options, one against another. Um, and so with that said, um, I would love to just hear from the two of you and either of you could jump in and we could kind of bounce off each other throughout this conversation, but maybe the good starting point would be to talk a little bit about some of the initial credential exchange protocols that we chose which I, I, we chose because that's where we're seeing, I guess, market demand, but just to give maybe an overview of those if possible. And maybe the good starting point is just to talk at a high level There, why these protocols exist for what types of uh, what types of objectives do they have and how may they differ in terms of architecture. Maybe a good point to start just to lay the ground of what we're seeing at least as the main credential exchange protocols that seem to be gaining traction in the market today.
1: Sure, Um, yeah, I mean, when we started this task force, we were looking into, like you said, which are the more predominant or relevant um, protocols that are out there. We identified, to start with, uh, rolling with four of them. One of them was the ACDC, uh, which is strongly bound with the carry uh, protocol itself. Uh, the other one was the ISO 23.220-3. Uh, I'm talking about all the issuance protocols right now, by the way. Uh, which is uh, about how to issue a mobile driver's license, uh, the protocol itself about that. The other one is the ARIES issue credential protocol v2. Um, which is used by all the various frameworks. And the final one that we were looking into is OpenID for verifiable credential issuance which is gaining quite a few traction, at least in in the Europe so far through the um, European Digital Wallet Initiative and the large-scale pilot projects that are uh, running at this point. And the reason, well, there are many more credential exchange protocols as well. We wanted to keep the scope a bit low at this point. Like there's also credential handler API. There is a VC API. Uh, And there are some couple of others that we might also consider in the future to put it into the scope. But from the size of our working group and the task force and from our own expertise, we decided to focus on these four, first of all. And I think what we were trying to grasp around is to understand or like categorize them like for our business uh, owners to make a decision on which protocol to use for their implementations. And from a very, very high level point of view, I think what we were looking into is uh, the architectural model uh, being whether a protocol is based on server client pattern, meaning there is a server that is uh, serving multiple clients or if it's a peer-to-peer model where the communication is happening through also peer-to-peer protocols. Um, yeah, And from this, this is like more or less like one of the bigger distinctions, in my opinion, at least of these different uh, protocols to decide on which course you're going to take because they are also inherently not very compatible with each other. And one of them is being uh, message-based, for example, the peer-to-peer model, Uh, Whereas the other one being session based and you're relying on certain transport protocols such as HTTPS and TLS. So one of them is relying on a request and response and the other does not have to have that. Like there's a state to the interaction that is happening but you don't have to get a response uh, uh, back at that uh, very moment when the request is being done. And I think uh, these differences are also affecting what kind of use cases they might be more suitable for uh server clients or the uh session based structure may be more suitable for digital identities for uh natural persons where the interaction is happening just uh on on demand on the go when the consent is also being given whereas when we're looking into the um, more the peer-to-peer based uh, protocols uh it might be more suitable for for example, machine to machine communications or when there's like an offline or when a response cannot be made just on the fly. But without just taking too much about this architectural model right now, like we had a couple of other uh, categorizations there, like for example, what kind of security model that they're using, what is the performance scalability, what kind of privacy um, features that these protocols offer. To uh, the maturity of these protocols, like uh, how are they being deployed? Maturity in terms of not only uh, the protocol maturity itself, like the standards on which level they, what level they are, but also how many um, implementers are using using these protocols, and in which projects are this being used. Yeah, I mean, maybe
2: just to follow up on that. Um... And take a, a one one step back. I, I think, um, at least for me, I, I, I I'm always sounding like a broken record trying to repeat this. And, and I and I think I was the one always coming back to it um, during our meetings. Is the why right? So why was a certain protocol invented in the first place? Like why, if especially if it was not the first protocol around, why was there a need initially to implement a new protocol? And I think this is a great, uh, in, in my opinion, a great basis in order to understand the design principles behind the protocol afterwards. And uh, the architecture model, whether it's peer-to-peer or it's a server client, just logically answers, like, like logically flows through, the, through, through that thing once you have the background context set in. Uh, so for example if you if you look at areas and what uh, what was the initial scope or goal to solve there so we are we are solving digital identity right in the internet The internet uh, doesn't have a digital identity let's solve that that's a very different scope, very different requirement than uh, we we have this big upgrade of eidas 2.0 coming in. We, we think that we have a lot of infrastructure lying around and we have a, 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 a timeline so within this timeline we have to make sure that we can solve this thing right so we can issue these digital counterparts of, of governmentally issued documents so these are totally different things right so it's if you if you think uh, think uh, from that standpoint and I think the creators in order to understand the protocols well you also have to to look and understand the background context as well.
0: Yeah, that's a good point you made there. Um, where, I guess, if you look at the Open ID for verifiable credential spec, it is one very um, straightforward in what the use case is for it. Like it's really all about personal identity and it has very strong ties to identity and access management use cases versus some of the other protocols that are very open and the the types of claims or the types of credentials that could be moved over these protocols are much broader in nature than something like, like open ID for VC. And then you also have different, I guess, types of identifiers that would be able to interact with these protocols as well too, right? Like we often talk about the decentralized identifier, in the self-sovereign identity space. But if you're looking at like more like ISO based standards and having EIDs and MDLs and using ISO based credential exchange protocols, or if you're looking at Kerry or if you're looking at open ID, there's maybe a difference in how identifiers are assigned and managed as well. Might be worth talking a little bit in, into that too. And it maybe fits into the, the whole server client or client to client type of model.
2: And it also answers the the question like, especially for OpenID for VC, since you know that the government is behind or the governments are behind it, of course uh, they will put a lot more emphasis on things like, you know, agnostic uh, agno- uh, credential format agnostic, uh, you know, as a as a requirement, or crypto uh, agility as a requirement. Because they don't want to be locked in into a particular, you know, set of, of technology. They also have to think about how you can migrate to the to the next thing since nothing lasts forever, right? So so you you have to take this into account right from the from the stars and hence the the results. So so yeah, I I think the background context sets up a lot of a lot of sheds a lot of light into the into the details of the of the
1: protocol. But I, I totally agree with that, but I also uh, think that the reason why maybe OpenID is seeing so much traction in uh, the regulatory uh, environment is because most of the participants in those regulatory environment are actually based on, they uh, based on the authentication uh, by Open ID Connect or OAuth Out 2.0 and what oid for vci uh, brings on the table is building on top of all outs so anybody who has already have experience and knowledge in uh the traditional uh, identity and access management space has an easier time to get into decentralized identities whereas with Aries... there you go blank canvas <laughs> exactly so coming with, like, all the concepts of, like, decentralized public key infrastructure, DITCOM and connections and whatnot, Yeah.
2: Yes, but th- then again, uh, if you remember our discussions of how should we compare, or what is the most uh, uh, suitable format to compare these protocols? Because it's, it's natural that you want to compare it, right, uh, at, at some point. And the, the most natural thing is to, to have a table, right, So with different columns and just say, oh, how do they stack against each other? While I, I do think that this is a useful format uh, for for comparing it and checking it and learning about it, it doesn't give you all the insights because of that. So just one, I, I think what we did with the long formats, all right, we have the long format, which is like 10, 15 pages long, uh, textual description of all these categories that we put in place. And then we have the shortest, the distilled version where you can do this, side-by-side side comparison of different protocols. Yet I, I believe we can still say that we don't have the perfect uh, format for comparing this, these protocols, right? So if, he, if, a, if a newbie comes into the place and wants just to pick uh, some protocols, he knows maybe he has a fa- fairly certain idea about the requirements that they might encounter. It's still hard, right? So it's challenging to, to just go through the, through the spreadsheet and just say, oh, Clearly, that's the winner for me.
1: Absolutely. Maybe to extend on what uh, you were saying, Vlad, uh, I think we had this conversation while comparing it on a bilateral basis, but uh, comparing these protocols is like comparing apples and with oranges because when we're looking into id for vci for example, it is a very long uh, specification and it covers many, many different topics, including... Uh, the transport layer, including how mutual authentication happens, uh, how uh, the credential is being issued. Whereas when we're looking into Aries cred v2, it is solely uh, focusing on the state of the holder and issuer, and what kind of message is going to be sent in which state to complete the transaction of issuing a credential. However, it has a lot of dependencies that are not necessarily mentioned in the protocol itself. For example, DITCOM being a hard dependency. You cannot have issue cred without DITCOM. And if you're talking about DITCOM, you have dependencies with the connection protocol, uh, did exchange protocol, um, I don't know, out-of-band protocol, uh, many, many RFCs that are written in the um, ARIES world.
0: I like the point too that not locked in. I think that's what we've seen, at least from national, um, bo- like government bodies as well, is that they want to make sure that they're not using anything that isn't like internationally accepted as well. Not based on international standards when you're talking at a like international between countries. Countries have requirements not to impact trade or impact the economy between countries and things like that with different implementations. So. That's perhaps why we see um, a lot of uh, interest in stuff from the ISO world come up as well, because one governments are directly involved within these ISO working groups. And second of all, it's an internationally um, accepted or run standard body, which, um, you know, reduces these risks of being locked into a specific technology or something proprietary or something that just isn't globally adopted or accepted. Um, and then another thing I think we saw, like you made the point about Open ID hook on, and what, why there's a, a push for this as well. But I think that there are misconceptions that we saw as we were diving into this, where the levels of maturity of these things, at least from an implementation standpoint, um, is not always as accurate as people think. Like I think you talk to people and they think because you know it based on OpenID or OAuth, that the, this thing all works, it's mature, it's it's ready to go. Whereas um, I think when, once you dig into stuff, not that it's not moving at a good pace, I think it definitely has a lot of momentum, that, that specific protocol in question. But um, looking at the implementations was was an interesting exercise as well.
2: Yeah. I can attest to that because we did the same exercise here on, on our side as well. Well, I, th- I, I think you, you have to understand that there are several uh, activities going on, right? So the one thing is, and I, and I think that's why we had this uh, governance uh, category in our in our uh, comparison uh, metrics. And that is obviously the, the state of the specification is one thing. Then you have also the state of the implementation as well. And then on top of that, to, once the implementations are around and news, you also want to see, okay, is there some kind of an interoperability test suite or whatever, profiles, whatever. And these processes, they're usually not the one-time thingies. You also want to see that there is, there are, there is a vibrant community around them, right? So it's not depending on two uh, persons, rather it's a, it's a vibrant community that is extending or at least it's not shrinking very fast. So you also have to take into account all these all these things before decide, deciding on a on a protocol because the protocol might be the most used, but the, that doesn't mean a lot. Things can change very quickly within a a year, so to speak. So all these things you have to 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 juggle in order to to find um, the most suitable
1: uh, protocol for your requirements. Yeah. Absolutely agreed, and um, maybe to extend that um, statement is um, when we are looking into, for example, ID4 VCI, we see a lot of traction. However, when it comes to testing, for example, is um, there is a lot of things that can be improved. And I also have to admit that uh, we have another uh, working group in the Open Wallet Foundation for Open ID 4 Verifiable Credential uh, protocol family due diligence. And uh, OpenID Foundation is actually working on the conformance tests to uh, offer implementers a way to test their implementation, whether that is conformant or not. However, the issue is though, and the OID side of the things is that there are new profiles popping out quite fast. So There is the HYPE profile, High Assurance Interoperability Profile that is supposed to be the one for the uh, Architectural Reference Framework, IDAS 2.0. There's the Dutch uh, uh, International Identity Profile uh, and some others as well. And making these tests, like the conformance tests with the profiles or like to achieve interoperability from uh, an ecosystem point of view, uh, these profiles are playing a very, very large role. Both in uh, probably ISO and ACDC, I would assume there as well, but like in ARIES world, we do also have these two AIP 1.0, 2.0 as one of the two pro- the predominant ones. And I think what ARIES did well in the past was also offering a test harness and the interrupt results of these different frameworks that are out there to prove that an AFJ can communicate with um, Uh, uh, a Cloud Agent Python using a profile.
0: Could could you um, just provide a little bit more context around the the concept of profile? I think the the, the word profile has been getting used quite frequently and being looked at across different vectors in the space, but um, you touched on it a bit, but what what is exactly a profile and and why is it important?
1: So I think to that answer, there are two answers to that question. If you're looking into it from, for example, the OID point of view, where there's like a very large um, specification that is saying uh, what can be included, what are the maze, what are the musts, and uh, what are the different optional parameters that uh, a query can have, for example. In that case, a profile is a specification of what are the musts uh, that are involved in the interaction that's happening between these parties. It also includes uh, things like uh, credential format to ensure that both parties can actually receive or or uh, validate uh, the credential, for example. Uh, but on top of it, uh, yeah, the IDs, for example, and which what kind of did methods uh, are being supported, or what kind of key uh, management uh, key resolution types are being supported, like the JSON Web Keys and Uh, Etc. So this is the side from the, of the perspective from the open ID for VCI. But when we are looking into the ARIES side of the things, it becomes like coming back to the statement that we just uh, did with the dependencies that are uh, in the, uh, coming with the issue credential V2 protocol, for example. In the ARIES world, the um, AIP, uh, ARIES Interoperability Profile 1.0, 2.0, specifies which ARIES RFCs has to be supported in order to have a communication between, uh, or es- exchange a credential between two parties. Because there are also multiple ways to uh, exchange the IDs, for example, there's the connection management that you can use, but there's also DID exchange that you can use. Uh, there is DIDCOM v1, there is DITCOM v2, um, and, these profiles make sure that there is a set of rfcs that are being used and tested against in the conformance tests
2: yeah i think you put it nicely because there are multiple even within one profile there are multiple combinations right so i think especially as you said in the open id for vc uh, space the just the Different kind of DAD methods that you have to support is just you have to make sure that within this interoperability test suite you, you can support them all, right? So it's it's not simple by by means. It's not it's not straightforward. Oh, it's that one that integration that inter, interoperability profile that I support. Just run the test. I can communicate with anyone else who is claiming to be that to support that profile as well. So it, it takes quite a lot of effort, continuous effort to, to sustain, to develop and to sustain this kind of uh, interoperability, interoperability uh, in place.
0: And you you would expect to see evolution in these over time as well as, as adoption happens, as more more use cases and verticals come in. There will probably be a lot more of these. So I guess it becomes important for, for implementers to stay up to speed with that.
2: For sure, I think this is... Uh, this is a must, right? So otherwise the cost of just maintaining a solution and, and developing a solution will be too high. So this, I think we have to think of, of how we can lower down the cost of the whole thing, right? So the, the building and the operating, maintaining, everything has to be affordable, right? It doesn't have to be you know too big of a price if you want to achieve the main goal, which is to be able to deploy multiple digital trust ecosystems out there in the wild. It will take some time like um maturation of the whole ecosystem that we have but also, also always have in mind that we have to lower down right so the the cost of everything that we are developing
1: absolutely and to to that extent we're also uh at the owf in this uh working group uh, due diligence task force we're looking to, uh, creating a baseline profile for uh oid4vc protocol family which is to help developers to get into the specification and the implementation without being very overwhelmed with uh, certain features that might be uh, harder to implement, like for example, uh, some, some, some features in the uh, hype profile, uh, yet to have a common ground between all these different profiles, so that once the baseline profile is established, even though it might not offer all the uh, need security features of the protocol itself, uh, that there is a base communication interaction and exchange of credentials that can happen um, if you support the baseline profile. And uh, any implementer who has worked on the hype or dip or uh, other profiles would have a very, very easy time to tune down this protocol to, to this protocol to uh, offer that as well
0: I have a vision and it, it would be interesting to to gauge your thoughts on this but when I think we're all used to the verifiable credential trust triangle or at least the, the centralized model where an issuer signs a credential issues it to a holder which is able to store it in their wallet and is able to present it to any relying party or verifier as as they wish when we look at that model of the issuer holder verifier which is impactful just because there's there's no call home there's no central authority there credentials don't lose their integrity as as they they move around within there um, there's three parties that need to be thinking about credential exchange protocols. You have the issuer, you have the holder, or let's just say the wallet providers or the technology solution providers for for wallets. And then you have the, the verifiers, the relying parties. I have a vision of the wallets in the middle being very key for interoperability and needing to support multiple protocols because you may be interacting with one specific issuer that wants to use an ISO protocol to issue a mobile driver's license because they wanna use the ISO family, the ISO spec. But you may be interacting with another one who may be wanting to issue a verifiable credential using an open ID for VC or an ARIES issue credential, RFC type of thing, or even a ACDC from the carry family. And then you may have similar types of things on, on the verification side of things. Um, do you agree with my statement that the wallet is maybe going to need to be very flexible and supportive of these different protocols versus kind of the two other ones? Or do you suggest that issuers issue similar credentials using different protocols? Uh, how do you look at interoperability from that standpoint of the digital or verifiable credential trust triangle?
2: That's a great question. How can, if you allow me, maybe I can interject first. So you can look at it from different angles, right? So I will try to use the pragmatic cap now for for, for for to answer this question. So. If I look at it from the pragmatic standpoint, I think that the issuers they would want to have the freedom the flexibility to choose whatever protocol verifiable credentials format cryptography, whatever suits them in order to to feel confident that they can go on with with the with the issuance of these verifiable credentials for them it it will be you know up to them to decide what they want to to use and obviously once they commit to a particular infrastructure they will always lean towards the team that infrastructure on the verifier side i think we'll have to see something similar to what we have um in the payment industry, right? So we have merchants, they, they basically say, okay, we support credit cards coming from all these uh, big players like Visa, MasterCard, whatever, American Express, whatever. So they will be, the, the verifiers, they will commit to acceptance networks, if you will, if I might use that terminology here, right? So I believe that there will be a development of these uh, networks and on the verifier side, they will have to support multiple, right? So uh, protocols, which brings the question, Okay, this means that at the end, at the center of this dilemma, we have the holder and the wallet. So either the wallet needs to be flexible in order to support these multiple protocols, or which can definitely, I can see that not all the protocols are under the sun, but maybe the most you know used ones, the most common ones. And at the same time, uh, you would want we we also have to, to take into consideration that when all these components they're part of a digital trust ecosystem, which means that they also should should be, you know, in line with the governance framework behind. So let's say for Eidas 2.0, there might be some requirements when it comes down to the technical stuff that the wallet needs to support A, B, and C, right? So, so you have to take this into consideration. And, they, and at one point, there might be some, some uh, uh, features or some constraints up to which you, you have to draw a line. Okay, this is what it should support and at that point in time, we, don't, uh, we cannot support the rest of them. I'm not saying that, 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 that uh, such, such thing exists at the moment because it does not, according to my knowledge, but they might. I might say that there, there might be some constraints which are coming from the governance framework of that particular trust uh, uh, trust ecosystem, which kind of enforces you to to stop at one point and and not think about let's just extend that wallet, the universal wallet, whatever call it what you want, um, but instead just go out with with your own, and vice versa. Even if even if there is no constraint to do that, just the maintenance of that wallet. I I would assume that there will be significant costs in order to support all of these things, especially if they are, you know, continuously developed.
1: So I totally agree with Vlad. And don't want to repeat what what he said. I think his, his view on this is, like, pretty accurate of, like, seeing, like, how interoperability can be achieved. It's based on the perspective. It can be on the wallet. It can be on the issuer. It can be on the verifier. But if you also take a look a bit into the... Value chain of identity, and think about like who benefits the most from validating or uh, having a um, credential information that is tamper-proof and accurate, and uh, etc. And that's the service provider. Those are the ones who are relying on accurate identity data to grant goods, uh, access to goods and services. And in that case, what I also can think in terms of interoperability is the verifier side of the things being much more flexible than um, the holder side. Analog to the topic of payments, for example, we have MISA, MasterCard, people have two cards. Like it's it's basically inherited the different networks and um, they do not have one unified card to uh, go with it. But the uh, service providers, accepting uh cards or payments from both of these networks and then many more like paypal and like direct payment or whatnot um yeah so f- for that purpose i think even though there is like a strong emphasis on like a universal wallet um i believe that the verifier side of the things are also quite interesting to take a look into uh to solve the Interoperability operability problems, so to speak. So that the verifier can validate uh, credentials using these four different credential exchange protocols, agnostic of um, credential formats, but depending on its own policy rules, right? Because they need to trust these credentials. So who the issuers are, authenticity of these credentials are, so that there's like a policy engine beside, behind uh, which credential I want to accept, disregarding the fact like from which protocol they are coming.
0: And you could imagine then in, in that framework that there's a world where a, a credential is able to land in a holders wallet using credential exchange protocol X, but is able to be presented into a verifier using credential exchange protocol Y and that type of interoperability should be achievable. I would think so, which makes the verifier not necessarily have to use the same credential exchange protocol family as the issuer, but there needs to be some mechanism not to lose the integrity or to be able to, to, to know that the data hasn't been altered and that has been signed by the right party and all of the stuff that comes around that.
2: Yeah, I've seen some interesting initiatives there which are actually solving this on the very far side, right? So, uh, and, and this is for the same reasons that Hakan mentioned. Right, because it 's in their interest right to recognize and to to verify this credential because it's, it saves them time and effort and money at the end, which means that you know just support just support multiple protocols on the verifier side and uh, I- instead of placing that burden on the wallet, you just ask you can also have this ask at the, at the start of the of the negotiation right so with the with the holder. What is the language that you can speak? Like, what is the protocol that you can, you can speak? And once you know, once you exchange this information, then you obviously have to keep uh, these uh, uh, verification requests in some kind of an agnostic model, right? So we, we already have that uh, with the div presentation exchange up to a certain point. And then you can, you can do the translation on the verifier side. So depending on which language you understand, this is what I'm asking from you so this means that you put the you put the the responsibility of of interoperability on the verifier side instead of the the wallet side and you hope that the, the, they will do this because because of their interest so because the incentive uh, structure will be in place
0: so we talked a bit about the verifiable credential or the digital credential trust triangle as a framework of looking from the different perspectives of different entities, what their role is in, in the ecosystem. And by the way, like a a, a verifier in a use case could very easily be an issuer right away and, and another use case type of thing as well. So that type of complexity comes into, but a a verifier, if we assume we often assume is- we often in the model assume organization issues, the person, person presents to organization. That's just the easiest kind of model that we tend to always think about, but there's tons of other types of interaction models that are possible. Some of these credential exchange protocols are better suited for certain interaction models versus others. But if we start talking about interactions or credential exchanges between organizations and machines and starting to mix the different uh, types of personas or or entities, how do we better look at these credential exchange protocols? Are there some that are better suited for certain types of interactions like organizational data or organizational identities or even machine to machine transactions? It'd be great if we could just look at, at that lens from uh, and understand how the different credential exchange protocols are at least choosing or looking at them would, would come into play for these types of use cases.
1: Yeah. Um, so, since my current client also coming from the automotive data space we're also having a similar dilemma here about the credential exchange protocols itself um so to your question i think the answer is a clear yes Uh, there is a distinction and there is a distinct uh differences between requirements uh from a human to machine or human to human interactions um, or human to business interactions, and there is a distinction or there is a set of requirements that are uh, different for machine to machine interactions. And when we're talking about the um, governmental eid uh, stuff, this is a clear case for the human to business or human to human interactions. And in that area, the Oid for VCI and Oid for VP for example, are sitting uh, su- is, are very very suitable because the origins of those protocols, like OIDC, uh, for example, or or OAuth, being also very uh, inherently uh, suitable for uh, human credentials and disclosing those human credentials. And the protocol itself in the OpenID for VCI is very human-centric. There's a a part which plays a large role in the human consent. There's a conscious decision of making an agreement that you want to share a certain information from your wallet with the uh, with the verifier, for example. Uh, and talking also with the spec authors about this topic, uh, because we were also considering OpenID for VP for credential exchange, for machine-to-machine, we came to realization that it's not necessarily very suitable for that purpose. Having said that, even though there are contenders here, like uh, the ARIES protocols, being not a bad contender due to also mutual authentication that happens with the DID out, uh, with the DID communication, uh, as well as the automation of the credential exchange, that is the possibility with these uh, protocols. There is still a gap in the market, I would say, for machine-to-machine credential exchange protocols. There is nothing that we can say this is gonna be it in the future. So far, there are some developments happening in the automotive data space. There's a protocol called Verifiable Presentation Protocol, but that's a very, very early stage, and we haven't seen any implementation of it so far. It's uh, it's really uh, blue waters for the time being. Yeah, that's a great insight. Um, I
2: would I would delve into the organizational identity uh, space and just in the last couple of days there was this incident which supposedly happened uh, in a, I believe it was a Hong Kong subsidiary of financial institution. I suppose you've encountered this news because it was published by all mainstream media. It says that uh, uh, an employee within a company just wired 25 million words of, of US dollars to, these uh, fraudsters who are actually using the deepfake <laughs> AI technology, AI-based technology in order to to convince them that uh, it's actually this, uh, this instruction is coming from the CFO of the company. So I'm not sure whether this is real or not, but everyone uh, translates so, so to me, this opens a lot of questions, right? Because f- s- the way that I understood it was that first, there was this email which sounded a little bit fishy but then the follow-up to that was that they went on a video call like we have now. And then this employee was, you know, talking to uh, several employees on the other side, the CFO and several other employees that he actually knew from the company. And he verif- verified them that these are actually, you know, the right uh, guys uh, uh, actually on sitting on the other side of the, of the video call. So after that, he did the, the, the wiring of the money and, and obviously make the make this uh, go away so the problem there are multiple problems there at stake right so the first problem is you need to have some kind of a processes within your company right so it's not just like okay let's go jump on a video call and I'll give you hand out an oral instruction and you just go run with it right so just Wire this money to our offshore HQ in Bahamas, whatever the case may be. So that that that's like the first thing that's that's coming up to my to my mind, and I think some of these protocols, and if if we are thinking about digital trust within organizational identity and what VLA in particular is doing with with the stuff that they have, I, I think authenticity is is really a key there, right? So first we have to make sure that we are actually talking to the right parties on the other side. I don't want to talk to a robot. I don't want to talk to a bot. I don't want to talk to a deep fake. I have to make sure that this is authentic, the discussion that, that I'm having. That That's for, like, number one, let's set up the at the baseline there. But they. But then, on top of that, I, I would want to, to set up some kind of a processes which reflect the complexity of the hierarchy within the, the company. And this usually means that for different kind of goals, for different kind of actions, there has to be different kind of co-signing or multi-signature schemes, so to speak. And uh, some protocols, CARE in particular, have this built-in into their protocol. So you can set these identifiers within the company and within the persons responsible within the company, and you can actually control the access to the signing key by by setting up a respective multi-signature scheme. So you can argue that if they, these guys were using some protocols like Kerry, and this is only for the identifier, let alone uh, verifiable credentials, for sure they will not have this problem.
0: It is looking, and I know we did this in the comparison, but I guess you mentioned authenticity, but looking at security and looking at privacy, authenticity and confidentiality, I guess is a good, good lens. As well, which could help like in, in the case of an organization like this, if authenticity is kind of the most important thing, then maybe there'll be a preference of, of one over another.
2: Yes, so I, I think that it's very easy to to you know just drive the direction towards one of these things towards privacy, especially when you're talking about, about uh, personal identity because that's what everyone wants, right? So at least claims that they want, that I want my conversation uh, in the digital realm to be as private as possible. I don't want anyone to spy on me, Brick Brother scenario, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but we also have to take into account, especially within the trust over IP, the findings of the best practices that we did into the other tax, task forces, especially the trust spanning protocol. And I think, uh, Matthew, you mentioned the uh, secure privacy, authenticity, and confidentiality. Uh, so, this triangle and the the this uh, theorem that you can only achieve two of them at the highest level at the same time so, right so you cannot achieve authenticity, confidentiality, and privacy at the highest at the same time. So if you look at the at at the work of the trust spanning uh, protocol task force, we can clearly see that the prioritization is authenticity first. Confidentiality second and the privacy is on the third. Doesn't mean that it's not important, right? So, but um, with privacy, there are certain different kind of infrastructure that you may use because at the end, it's always about correlation on the metadata. And this can become very complex very fast. So the law of diminishing returns will also kick in very, very fast. You have to make the right balance in order to, to achieve the, the, the desired privacy levels without raising the costs really heavily. But as you, as you said, <clears throat> I don't think that there is, there is an enough discussion and understanding of how these things are related out there in, in, the, in the wild. And I think there is a great uh, communication you know, challenge that needs to be done there in order to, to raise the awareness and understanding.
1: Also, I think there is a um, differentiation that we have to make when we're talking about authenticity, integrity, confidentiality, non-reputation, privacy, etc. So on one level, it's the communication. So a communication, the message that we're sharing with each other right now can be end-to-end encrypted. Uh, it has uh, certain characteristics like integrity of the message that has been sent authenticity from who it is coming from confidentiality that is only for the eyes of the uh one party and non-reputation for uh not being able to neglect that it has been sent to the person but uh when people are talking about the privacy i think the focus is also at least in the decentralized identities the focus is also on the credential itself like what kind of privacy-preserving features a credential uh, brings on the table, right? Uh, And the good thing, I think, about the whole credential exchange protocol comparison is that most of these protocols uh, are actually credential agnostic. So... Uh, you can use AnonCreds with OpenID for VC, you can uh, use it also with issue credentials, you can use SDJOTs, you can use whichever credential format that you want to use. I'm not very sure with the ACDC and ISO side of the things. Uh, ISO probably a bit more restrictive in MDL. Um, But if we're talking about the privacy features of a protocol, exchange protocol itself, I think the most important factor that we have to weigh in is what kind of data is being required to have this exchange happening? Do they want from you more than that you need to deliver to have that transaction? Um, Yeah, And in OpenID for VCI case, for example, it can go really, really, Quite, quite off the roofs. So like you can go on up to wallet identifiers and uh, verifier identifiers that you know from which wallet, which credential is coming uh, to which verifier it is going, which might be a required thing on a regulatory use case like uh, electronic identification. Whereas, at least from my uh, understanding, the ARIES protocols are have been inherently more privacy focused more than... Uh, yeah uh, enabling uh, these additional identifiers to be have in the to be had in the protocol
2: privacy is a very interesting uh, thing right it's very interesting uh, to discuss because it, it it might mean multiple things right so <clears throat> if you look at the interactions that we have with different counterparts and especially in the regulated business, especially let's say the banking industry whatnot, there is no Privacy there between me and uh, and the bank, right? So they will ask for us for the data they don't need because they are regulated. So this is currently handled. So they they cannot I cannot send go to the bank and, and just give them a you know a zero knowledge uh, proof that this this is this is it and they will say oh that's not a problem you can run, you can run with it we don't need to know. So I think uh, we have to distinguish this. You know, uh, when we are trying to replicate the already existing rules of the physical world into the digital world, we have to take into account this. But also then on top of that, uh, have this other discussion that you that you also uh, mentioned it. because things can very easily go on the on the other side, very, very wrongly. If I, if I have to share all the metadata that I have, meaning the wallet identifier, crash letter, pretty much everything, then a correlation would be a very simple thing to do, right? So we, we have to make sure that the correlation is, there is a balance there. There has to be sufficient effort that one needs to do in order to do the, the correlation. If it's not, if if let's say two banks, the three banks can just intermingle and they just correlate everything very easily, we haven't solved quite a lot of things, even though we don't have the back, uh, back to home uh, um, in the first place. So you have to to make sure that this uh, correlation doesn't exist at the the very far side, or it's hard to do, right?
1: But on the other hand, like uh, a bit more maybe philosophical question here, who decides which kind of data should be shared for which purpose? I mean, yes, the regulatory side, but on the other hand, for example, all this KYC is related to, for example, always terrorist financing, or, um, I don't know, drug money and money laundering, things like that uh which is correct but like that 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 is ma- made for like a very 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 small amount of transactions that are happening in the global scale of the things we, we, we are willing to participate in it to ensure that we are covered for the edge cases but that boogeyman of edge cases can drive us also into a very um surveillance method of authentication and and verification using credentials i think there's a
2: clear clear danger there right so it's uh, especially since you're moving towards digital realm more and more and uh, the more digitized the process in the data are of course the the correlation will be easier to be done than in the physical world so yeah, you, from the philosophical standpoint, you can argue that the, the number of, of devious transactions, essentially, they can definitely be considered edge cases in, in comparison to the normal, standard transactions. And you can also argue that that the bad actors, they will definitely—I mean, their their core skill is how to, you know, circumvent procedures and things like that. So for sure, they will find a way how to circumvent this.
0: Which is why I I still think a multi-protocol or having multiple profiles be able to be used by a wallet holder, whether they're interacting with with issuers or or verifiers is interesting because, and we, we often overlook like we talked about regulatory, but there's regulatory, there's non-regulatory. non I think I, I agree the bank for KYC, AML purposes needs to collect and store your data. and They have processes around that. So I mean, you're not going to do a, a, a zero knowledge proof type of thing with them versus if I'm just looking to do an age proof online to, I don't know, access some websites, for example, uh, I, I don't want to give the same amount of data. I perhaps value my privacy more in, in, in that use case, right? And so... It all it takes us back to that the start of the conversation as well. Vlad, you're talking about different purposes for these different exchange protocols, where you have some for high integrity personal identities or access management use cases, where perhaps the relying party is regulated and has regulatory requirements to to collect data or just part of their policy, versus just a widespread use of verifiable high integrity data on the internet, where perhaps you don't. you you need mechanisms to have stronger uh, uh privacy preserving types of interactions there and then there's also like how um how confidential or how private do you want your data to be anyways right it's like a is it pii data or is it data about like some behaviors i have or if i'm an organization go back to organizations maybe it's just public data I have as credentials, it's verifiable, but I'm okay sharing it with with whoever, or maybe it's my, I don't know, more private information as an organization that I don't. So just the the types of credentials, like we talked about too, I guess, um, play into what use case and then what type of exchange protocol we want to employ.
2: Definitely, I think that um, we have to be cognizant of of, of everything that you just um, mentioned and, um you could you could expect that the more processes we have online and hopefully uh, when there are more verifiers online the more uh, the, mo- the more qu- this question that Hakan asks will be will be will be question right will be asked like who gets to decide what kind of uh, data do i need to to pass this check and <laughs> if you say that there is a centralized entity that does that you put a lot of you know control into the overall trust uh, ecosystem because you say in order to do this check you have to th- these are the musts in order to do that check these are the musts. so there has to be one central or hierarchical whatever uh, someone uh, who is who is setting up and then propagating these 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 rules on the other hand, you have the wild west right so everyone gets to 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 say what do they want and then it 's up to the Holder to make an educated decision based on the the request, they don't have to accept, but they have to be educated well enough in order to 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 understand. Okay, so I'm I'm going to the I don't know to my gym, and my gym is actually asking for I don't, for some stuff that is absolutely not required for this. So you can say I I don't want to share this data uh, with you. But um, yeah, it's a it, it's not a, a trivial thing to solve. Right, so it's it gets complicated. You don't want to, to to place the burden or too much burden on the on the side of the of the holder, especially when you when you widely deployed everything because most most of the people they are not aware of these terms like authenticity, privacy, confidentiality doesn't mean anything to them, right? So they just want to get the deal done as fast as possible and just move on with their life.
1: And on, on on the other hand, I think if we're going for like uh, privacy as an option instead of like privacy by design, we're opening the route for again, the whole surveillance capitalism, because in the end of the day, if I don't agree to share my data, I won't get the access to the uh, service that I want to, ex- yeah, ex- exactly. Yes, and you're stuck.
2: <laughs> yes. I, I think this was a positive, it's a positive move, movement, a positive step in the right uh, direction that we are starting to think about uh, privacy right from the get-go, right, when we are architecting the system. So privacy by design, definitely, I think, I think this would stay. For sure, data minimization, I think this is definitely a best practice. You don't, the less data you share, the less problems you will have, so, it's, just common thing right so i think this will stay it's harder to make uh, the balance where where the 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 boundaries are like you always you always want to in order for a thriving ecosystem you really have to give a little bit of autonomy on the on the on the side of the players so they get to do to 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 decide and move with the market speed not with the with the speed of the governance body whoever it is because this this will usually be be slower so which
0: is why i think it's probably important to keep these protocols as thin as possible that you're able to do a lot of a lot of different things with it but it really comes down to the implementations which are driven by the use cases which are driven by the regulations or different policies or just more of the the business requirements versus enforcing something within the protocol because even when we talk about something like privacy when you were talking about the the deep fake earlier um so much of our but bi- well as this video is going to go out all of our biometric data will be available to to take and someone will be able to use it and construct a deep fake with it all of our voices out there on different presentations and podcasts it, it, it's out there anyways so ever the more reason to say let's maybe keep these things as thin as possible and make sure that we're not um, creating some unwanted like second or third factor um, situations that come out of it, when like, what problem are we really trying to solve?
2: Yeah, we, we, we are definitely. I think this is the question: what are the problems that we are trying to solve? And in this community, I think the problems or the prioritization of the problems they they change frequently, right? Especially with the with the uh, boom of the of the AI technology, and deepfakes and whatnot. Today, you might not even be able to recognize whether something is coming, a song sung by you, whether you are on the other side or not. You can quickly reach to that point. So it can be very, very messy and very, very ugly, very quickly.
1: Absolutely. Well, maybe a bit of off topic for the uh, credential exchange per se, but nevertheless credentials and identity. So... About these deepfakes videos, we were also at Accenture with a colleague thinking about um, how to prevent this or like how can we use actual decentralized digital identities ourselves or an our identity as a part of uh, fraud prevention to make sure that um, the origins of a video or a voice recording is actually authentic and not has been faked. Um, th- we were thinking about, yeah, what about like a user being able to sign with their device uh, the video that is being created and made actually an uh, uh, analysis on what the internet video content is made of. And I think I'm, it's numbers, right? But like somewhere between 80 to 90% of all videos are coming from Android or Apple, like two devices generating most of the internet video content in the world. Um, and yet, they they still don't sign these videos. For example, this is this is not a feature that is, to my knowledge, not there yet. And Sony came with that uh, with uh, with their uh, uh, one of their photo, uh, photo, photo, photographic machines. Uh, now they're capable of signing any video or picture that has been taken by a Sony camera to make sure that the picture that has been taken is authentic and it has not been tampered with. And I thought this is perfect like something like this we really need in the future for any content that is coming into social media news outlets whatever to me this is
2: we are we are lacking severely behind this i, I think because we are especially if you are working in the personal identity space we have all these regulations we have to take into account while this giant you know dark wave is just looming over our heads and it's crashing the internet. And I think that we, the, the the number of stories like this will just go on and on. And, and, and this this is organizational uh, incident. But who knows how many incidents are there on the personal level that are not published out there. So to me, authenticity is definitely number one problem that we have to solve.
0: Yeah, there's a big content authenticity uh problem ar- arising. And uh, luckily, there's work happening in that space. You just mentioned one example of uh, signing. I think just having more signatures available solves a lot of problems to, to begin with, um, which is a core to the, the whole verifiable credential uh, exchange stuff as well. So for folks listening to this, we're rebooting this working group within the trust over IP. So the credential exchange protocol task force. By the time this podcast is out and you're listening to it, we've already rebooted it, but we will um, ask and we'll put it in the show notes if anyone is interested in joining and contributing. And there's also other protocols, like we talked about the VC APIs being another method of exchanging uh, credentials. We want to make sure that we have more coverage and we're, we're really ultimately helping decision makers and implementers of this stuff have um, an easier time getting up to speed with what's available and and, um, spend less time on reading technical documentation and research before having a little bit more direction. So we think it's very important work for all different types of credential exchange protocols. So we're we're rebooting this working group. It will be going throughout 2024. So if you're interested in joining in the show notes, we'll have uh, a link and instructions on how to do that. We would love to uh, see you there. Before we wrap this up today, uh, Hakan and Vlad, any final parting words that you would like to leave with uh, our listeners
1: i mean i'm I'm happy that we started this working group, and I think we still have a way to go because the decision as this conversation shows and the result of our so far uh, work so far shows that it is not as simple as uh, choosing a over B because uh, there, there is a clear distinction to go there. So I, I think we still need to refine uh, where we are heading, with to make business uh, owners to make a, a concise decision on 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 which credential exchange format they want to use. It's still quite technical, but but we're getting there. And on the other hand, like maybe um, one more important topic here is I think the interoperability. Like I think. Uh, Overall, what we're doing is very interesting and uh, these different credential exchange protocols, but there is no preference for me. Like I I don't prefer uh, OpenID over every uh, issue credential protocol or something like that. The most important thing is that the whole SSI as a concept, as a identity and access management paradigm, fosters and that we can achieve only through seeing these protocols being implemented all across the world but having interoperability in some way like either through the holder perspective or from verifier perspective that that is i think still yet to come
2: yeah from from my side definitely an exciting time to participate in this uh, because i believe that now especially with the European large-scale pilots in uh, in progress and uh, the holy EIDES 2.0 thingy being one of the most prominent uh, deployments, hopefully, out there for, for SSI. hope that uh, things will catch up with the, uh, with the rest of the world. And uh, I can see that things are heating up in some places. And uh, this will be very interesting, but also at the same time, very challenging because... Each one of us know how much time we had, we had to spend just to learn the jargon, let alone understand the fundamentals behind. So I think that we as a community will be put to a test in order how to constantly improve the communication, the message that we have. So we always have to work on this in order to, to reduce the barrier to entry because currently it's, it's too big.
0: Yeah, and I'm hoping conversations like these will uh, be helpful and we continue to progress along those lines. And uh, guys, thank you so much for doing this. I would love to do this again at some point throughout the year. I think they continue to be important conversations and I'm hoping they're valuable for our listeners as well. So um, thanks again.